Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin. And for today, we, our guest is Dr. Veronica Morrissey. Dr. Morrissey is a uh, physical therapist. She got her doctorate in physical therapy from Washington University. Um, she has a, a lot of diverse interests, including things like gardening uh, and mindfulness. And so there is actually a connection between mindfulness and gardening, as well as pain. She is a co-creator of one of our local pain programs, which has had some just astounding uh, outcomes and in, in just really some transformative practices there. Um, but let's let her tell her story. Veronica, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Um, yeah, so my background, um, I guess, originally starting out, I actually wanted to be a psychologist. Oh. <laughs> so my background, my undergrad is actually in psychology. Um, but then I uh, decided that that wasn't quite what I wanted to do. Um, so I, I kind of sort of stumbled into PT, actually, which I'm sure uh, a lot of physical therapists that I've talked to are like, you what? <laughs> you just stumbled <laughs> into it? You know, because um, I had a lot of interest in yoga and, and exercise and things like that. So I kind of went the bio route, I guess. Um, and... Um, I guess my background from that has really been a, a lot of bio-based things, um, but I've always had sort of a special place in my heart for psychology. Um, and um, But my actual physical therapy training um, was very bio-based. Uh, my background is in uh, like the Shirley Saruman movement system impairment, which is basically based on, you know, humans have an ideal way of moving. Um, and if you're not moving in that ideal way, or if you're not aligned in that ideal way, um, then you are, then you're probably going to have pain, yeah. you know, or that's the reason for pain. Uh -huh. Right. Um, so, so that's kind of my background with that. Um, but I had always sort of wanted to somehow incorporate <laughs> both backgrounds, um, but that, that's where I sort of started. They incorporate the psychology and the movement. Yeah. So let me uh, just clarify, when you're, when you're talking bio, because a lot of times people will use these terms and people have different definitions to it. When you're saying bio or from a bio-based, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean in that we're just looking at structures essentially okay. or at um, the way someone is moving. We're not bringing into account like – um, what barriers they have in their life or um, how they feel about the way that they're moving or how they feel about their body um, or, you know, uh, really just strictly you come into my office and I'm going to do a number of tests on you and make you move. Um, and from that, that's, that's what happens. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you come in, I examine you. This is my, this is my finding. And now we're going to fix it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So a very structural-based approach. Yeah. Okay. And um, so your your background was rooted in that. And I think you mentioned that Washington University is pretty heavy in that sort of movement-based yeah. or structural-based modality. Um, when did, I should say, well, when, when did your views start to change i guess when did you start seeing the world a little bit differently or did you or or was there i mean was there any struggle with that or or not um i feel like it was actually kind of gradual um because there was some things um actually when i was in pt school um 
you know, the, the way that I, I think things were taught to us were, you know, that there are other options out there in, in addressing function and pain, but this is sort of the best way to do it. Um, and I had heard from a few other, like, like when I was out on my clinicals and things like that, that some of the clinical instructors thought that Washington University students were a little stuck up, <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, knowing that and why is that and um, kind of going in to say, okay, you know, there are other options out there. Um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I still think that the MSI stuff that I learned is, is a very useful tool, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not the only thing that's out there. Um, it's just one thing that's out there. Um, but so, so while I was in PT school, I was kind of starting to see like, okay, you know, what else is there? Um, and how can I fit things into this framework that I'm learning now? Um, and then coming out of PT school, uh, wow, I guess just seeing that there is a lot more and, and other things work as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, why is this the best then if so many other things work well-ish as well? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's interesting, I think, to kind of keep in mind is, um, is when you start seeing a lot of different things that have some sort of therapeutic effect, um, and I guess for, for me, it was when you see a bunch of st stuff that, that kind of works, mm -hmm. um, then my question is, well, well, why, you know? Right. So, and, uh, and from a, from a, I guess a bio-based, you know, when we're looking at a structural based pathology, at least, you know, from my standpoint, it was, it was kind of like, it was, it was interesting. My treatments always worked except when they didn't work. And then, right. <laughs> And then, you know, when it didn't work, then we start looking, well, it must have been this or it must have been, you know, somehow we shift it to the patient oftentimes or, or whatever. Um, so I just kind of find that fascinating. Did you ever see that when, when, in what you were doing? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. I mean, definitely looking back at, um, you know, when I was really first getting started at, and, you know, like I said, it was, it was effective. Um, MSI was effective when I used it and it was effective a lot of the time. Um, but, but like you said, I think it depends upon why was it effective. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know that it was effective because, you know, MSI is the best treatment, you know, <laughs> um, I think it's effective because of all the other things that went into it as well. Um, you know, I, I think having like the background in psychology and having more of a tendency to try to like listen, um, to patients and, and, have like a genuineness with them um I think made a big difference in them getting better and you know versus just kind of like I've never liked to work at a place like I don't know I call them patient mills mm -hmm. where like they just come in and you see like two to four patients at at once um like that doesn't um, and, you know, and that's one of the things I think that was rooted in some of the MSI stuff that I definitely give Washington University a lot of credit for um, is really being present with the patient mm -hmm. um, and seeing one person at a time and dedicating your time and your attention to them. Um, and I think that that's something, you know, beyond sort of that bio base that they included that maybe they 
didn't do it intentionally knowing <laughs> that it wouldn't, that that factor helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think that being present with the patient has been a really big uh, aspect in, in actually being effective. And let's explore that a little bit more because I know you have a background and interest in mindfulness. And when, when we're, you're using words like um, being present, uh, that sounds like it's just kind of it's almost like bleeding out of your, your verbiage right now, that you're, you're embodying that kind of mindful approach. And it seems like you've been doing that for a while. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. how did that start? Well, um, I think I've been, I've had some practice in meditation and mindfulness probably since my early teens when I first started doing yoga. Um, and you know, yoga is such a, a mindfulness based activity, I feel like, because you're, you really focus on your body and how your body is moving and your breathing. And then you, there's a meditation built in right at the end of every session. Um, so I think that that kind of started with some of my mindfulness practice. Um, and then I just, just kind of also noticing that when you are not staring at your computer screen, when someone is talking to you. Um, it just feels a lot better to actually just kind of sit there and talk to a person. I'm not saying that I don't ever do that, you know, because productivity standards and whatnot, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, the the um, system gets in the way of good care. We understand. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, when when I have the opportunity to really just kind of put the computer off to the side and just kind of, well, I'm just going to, like, listen to you talk for 20 minutes, you know. I don't need to be writing down every single thing that you're saying for me to understand what's going on. You know, if I don't remember every single little detail of, you know, when you fell off your bike 27 years ago, that's okay. I get the gist. Mm -hmm. Something happened a long time ago that was traumatic to you, you know, and that was when you feel like your pain started or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So just being, being there and not, having the mind and the body in the same place, essentially. Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes a, makes a lot of sense. And so now uh, you kind of went straight from that structural-based approach, and then you got involved with creating MAPS, Mindfulness Movement and Pain Science Program. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that happen? So a lot of that started with, um, so it started out with my manager, Bob, he, um, Bob Long, he started the program uh, in some sort of rendition. I think it was originally called something like Exploring Movement or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had just started calling it like the Lebanon pain class or something. <laughs> um, and that was before I had actually gotten there. He was teaching it with an occupational therapist. And, uh, and, I, and I think it was like 16 weeks long or something. Yes, it was so long. <laughs> It was, it was 16 weeks and then we shortened it to 12, uh, after I got there and then eventually we shortened it to eight. Um, and we used to include all kinds of really weird (laughs) stuff, um, trying to get to like the, you know, the best content. Um, but over time it's really been, um, you know, Bob and Sharna and I really, um, sort of trying to develop what is, how can we get this to a level that's digestible to Mm -hmm. people um, and that um, we get across, you know, enough information that, that we think would be the most helpful. 
Um, so it's kind of been this crazy development over the past three-ish years, at least for my involvement. And, and I think that's that's important is, um, you know, when we're, we're talking about introducing new pain care models, and I know probably some of the listeners out there may be interested in creating programs. And um, what I think is important is you guys started with something and Bob started doing something. And, you know, maybe 16 weeks probably wasn't the best um <laughs> Uh, you know, because now that you said that, I'm like, I remember talking to them about that. Yeah. And I think they ended up with yeah, a little intense and they had, you know, it was hard for people to go through 16 weeks and, mm-hmm. um, but they started with something. Right. And the, I think the other thing that's been beautiful about maps is to watch how it has evolved because mm-hmm. you, you've started with something and it was the, you know, you, you're working with the best material that you have and you guys are always learning, which is, which I think is also important. Um, but that that progress. What so? What what have been the lessons for you along the way? Where if you have somebody and they're like, "Man, I really want to start a pain program." What would you what would what would you recommend if they were just wanting to start off and do it? What were the first steps you would say? I would really say to just, I mean, to just kind of go for it, um, you know. And I think if you spend too much time trying to plan it, that you're not going to get to it, you know. So because you learn a lot along the way. There are things that, um, you know, I thought based on other pain classes that I've um, taught or been to that I'm like, okay, this is the way that we need to do it. And let's get this really highly structured and, you know, let's, let's get it like all written up and (laughs) let's get everything in PowerPoints and let's do all this stuff. Um, But I think, as you go through it, you, your patients tell you what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's probably going to vary per, per the area that you live in, you know? Um, I mean, maybe even as close as, you know, people in Lebanon need something different than people in Corvallis. Um, it's a different population of people. So the emphasis might need to be different. So um, maybe a lot of the base information is the same, but how much emphasis you put on certain areas is going to be different. Um, so I, I think what I've learned the most going through is to just get out there and do it. Um, because it's kind of one of those things of if you wait, it's never going to be perfect, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going to keep changing. There's been times where we said, yeah, I think we've really gotten in our flow and this is perfect. We're always going to do the class like this from now on. And that's never been the case. (laughs) We've always done it different every single time because there's different people every single time. You can't have this rigid, this rigid thing with a group of, you know, 12 to 15 people who are completely different people than the 12 to 15 people you had last time. Yeah, and, and um, you know, just just it, just re- I think a lot about discrepancies about between what we do, and um, or what we want, and what we do, and th- this just makes me th- kind of reinforce and and remember, um, you know, so much of the time people are looking for like the perfect, uh, uh, the perfect template or the perfect uh, curriculum or whatever. I would love it if it existed. I mean, I like order. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You are a very orderly person, and 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 um, and not to say that curriculum is, is you know, we obviously you want some sort of core curriculum or whatever, but what um, you know, listening to you talk, just like you said, it's 
you always have to adapt to whoever the learner is. Right. And you guys have done such a good job about adapting, but I'm going to, you know, going to interject here a little bit is I thought it has so much to do with who facilitates those courses. It's, and it's like you and Sharna and, and I think Rachel's there now, yeah. you guys know what you're doing. Yeah. And when you understand uh, the material, it makes it easy to adapt to your audience versus the typical approach, which you see, which is let's get this curriculum and then we'll adapt mm -hmm. to the curriculum or force people to adapt to this curriculum. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was just an yeah, observation. I, mean, I think what you're saying. That's something that's I've noticed with other like pain groups or things that or, or at certain times when I've thought maps needed to be a certain way. Um, that it doesn't, it's not as effective. Like we don't get as many, we don't get the, the people who come to these like really engaged. Um, and it doesn't feel as fun mm -hmm, <laughs> as mm -hmm. an instructor when you're like, oh, I gotta get, you know, I gotta get this done. I've got, you know, 50 minutes to talk about this concept and then we can't revisit it later because there's something else that needs to be done, taught in 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like, woof, calm down a little bit. <laughs> if, if it needs to get, if it needs to get taught, it'll get taught. Don't worry about when it gets taught, you know, like they'll, it'll, it'll happen when, when people are asking things, when people need certain things, it's better to just give it to them when they're asking for it than to say, Oh, wait, no, you know, we actually talk about that in session eight. You know, I know it's session two and you have that question now, but ooh, try to remember it, you know, <laughs> stay interested for session eight. <laughs> But that I, I, that um, it brings up another kind of point there, though, is, you know, I was just thinking about that is you know, oftentimes people will also want to throw in everything in the kitchen sink and, and information. And then yeah. I've seen I actually I pulled up a, a, uh, a curriculum for another program yesterday and I was looking at it and it was it's always astounding to me because there's like you said, there, there's this rigidity there. We have to cover this in the session that cover this in this session. Um, so what what has your been experiences with that? Like, are you adding more information, or have you found that you're removing more information as 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 you kind of have honed your curriculum and honed your approach over time? Yeah, actually, I think we've removed more information <laughs> over time. Um, you know, we 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 used to have so much stuff. Um, but I think coming back to just some of the basics and, and doing more practice, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I think that when you first learn a lot of this stuff as a clinician, you're like, this is so exciting. I know all this stuff. Let me tell you all about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And like, it's so interesting, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's like, this will help you. Let me just tell you all about it. But like, that's not, I mean, that's like information overload um, for a lot of these people. So um, some people want and need that much information, but I would venture that that's a, to say that that's a very small portion of the population that, that wants and needs all of that. Um, I think really what is more effective is just practical, like practice of things. So I could tell you you know, a whole story about expressive writing and its history and tell you some research about it and talk to you about Dr. Hanscom's story and how it's, how his, you know, all of his stuff with it and, and how interesting it is. Um, you know, and sometimes I do, but I think it's probably more beneficial for me to say, 
this these are the basics of it now let's practice it right now mm-hmm. so that you know what you're doing when you go home and you don't feel silly doing it at home and you run into a bunch of questions and then you give up yeah and that's and that's sort of um well i don't want to say because it's just reminds me of almost like reverse education where you know people are learning there's a lot of stuff you can do outside of the the group or the classroom or however the educational process is but really maximizing that time that you're together in the application so that you can answer those questions as they arise versus just right. present didactic information so yeah that makes a lot of sense to me yeah big big proponent of experiential learning i think it's i think it's more helpful um, some people really do want the information and then you know, you can often just give that to them afterwards, though, you know, mm-hmm, or if they have a specific question, like you can talk about it during sometimes, like, I'm not going to explain to someone how to do yoga poses, I'm going to, to bring them through it. And then once they are already trying it, and they say, well, how am I supposed to do this, if this doesn't feel good, or, you know, um, versus just kind of saying, you know, here's a list of yoga poses and a written description of how to do them. Now go home and do them. You know, it's like, yeah. how likely are you to do it then? You know? Yeah, I guess it makes me, it thinks me uh, think about medical school and, and residency and, and you probably had this, I'm sure, in physical therapy as well, but the old adage of see one, do one, teach one. You guys, yes. have, you know, and it's, it's very similar is demonstrate it for me then have me do it and then have me teach it. And I will much more likely to learn than just right. seeing you demonstrate it or hear you talk about it all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that we really try and get out. Um, you know, as I think that the first half of the the program is very, um, there is more information in the first half. And then the second half is a lot more uh, experience practice and teach back mm-hmm. um you know i think that that's one of the things like we've removed a lot of information because we've found that you don't really need to give them everything they just need they just need enough you know um and that once they really understand the basics like there's so much more information that you can give and learn and we can get into neuroscience and all kinds of stuff, but do they really need that? Probably not at least to just start feeling better, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so, so getting into sort of that second half of the course of the program, um, is, is more like, now you tell me what you've learned. Tell me how you're going to change. Tell me how this is going to help you. Tell me why you think you're hurting. Um, you know, what have, what have you learned? What, what are the tools and just kind of getting it ingrained? That's great. So, um, what have you learned from your students then? Have you seen that dynamic change? Cause when I'm, I'm, you know, typically people say, well, there's the, the instructors sit up at the beginning of the classroom, but it mm-hmm. almost sounds like you guys are, you start that way, but by the end you're in the back of the classroom. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, gosh, you know, I, I think on on a scale as far as the program goes, I've learned how to structure a program in a more dynamic way um, to actually be like helpful to people. But I mean, I guess on a personal level, too, like I still 
there are things that I teach that I don't always practice and they call me out on it. <laughs> so um, it's kind of a good reminder for myself too, um, to just kind of, I don't know, practice what I preach and um, that these things apply not only, that they apply to so many different areas of life. You know, like I think you say like, you say like pain skills are life skills, mm -hmm. you know, um, and just kind of learning, I guess, you know, or internalizing that that's really true, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, but that's good education, right? Is if, if good education is something that goes beyond just the target matter that you can extrapolate and use other places. And, um, in fact, there's actual term for it, which I, it's either deep learning or it's like one of the higher stages of, of education is when you when you can adapt it to other scenarios mm -hmm. and so it's 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 just interesting to know again, when you have a good program that's what occurs people start naturally taking it and you watch your students come back and you're like wow i didn't even think about using it in that way before mm -hmm. so it's just super exciting and, and super cool so um yeah. what so what where Again, where would you want to go, like with your program? Do you think that there's, would you want to do? Because I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, you have you have a, this strong background in mindfulness. Have you thought about doing other programs which are my, more mindfulness based, or different levels, or or how do you see this progressing, or how do you see group programs in physical therapy specifically progressing? Wow. Yeah, I would really like to see more group programs in physical therapy. Um, you know, I think kind of going back to what you said earlier, the system kind of gets in the way of things. Um, and I think that that's a really big thing with physical therapy um, due to the poor reimbursement of group therapies. Um, but I think, you know, especially when we're talking about like chronic pain or um, even just certain, you know, other kinds of diagnoses, you know, just um, like chronic conditions, other chronic conditions, um, like Parkinson's or neurological conditions where it would be beneficial just to have people in a group. Um, and I'd, I'd like to see more of that, um, because I, the dynamics in a group are so different than in one-on-one. One-on-one -on -one. One -on -one is nice. Um, but I think there's something about a group and like, community and like just seeing people once they get to the point where they've kind of gone through that um they've kind of got past that like storming and they're into like the norming and performing phases <laughs> of a group it's like it's so cool to see and and like that's when people start making all these changes and i think that's missing in a lot of one-on-one -on -one, um emphasis because they still feel alone, I think. And even if it's not like a persistent pain situation, um, I, I think that that sort of, I'm part of, like other people suffer through this or other people understand what this is like um, is really missing because, I, you know, I could have persistent pain or something and, you know, half the time, most of the time, mm -hmm. I would say the patient doesn't care mm -hmm. because I'm the provider, you know, I'm not their peer. I'm not a person who they can identify with. 
um, as well as maybe another patient because they because there's a different role. You know, they maybe see me as like an authority figure or something like that um, who can't be identified with as easily. Um, so having the group setting and having other people who understand you in, and who are in your community, I think is beneficial just for any kind of rehab. Yeah. And that, uh, it's just fascinating. My mind, my mind is like racing here. Cause you, you know, you specifically said chronic conditions in particular, uh, Parkinson's and I'm like, yeah. yeah, you know, it would be great to see, um, you know, more of these, more, more group modalities where we could take these chronic conditions and get people so they don't feel isolated anymore. Right. Wow. That would just be so. Yeah. Well, and especially, um, you know, I, I say Parkinson's in particular because there are actually already some groups for people with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it would be beneficial for other groups like, you know, people who have MS or um, just you know, any really almost kind of anything, yeah. but, um, you know, and there's a big, um, link between mindfulness and Parkinson's as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that really broadens things for, you know, inclusion of other professionals as well. Um, like speech therapy, mental health therapy, um, just, just kind of bringing in multiple different aspects. And just pausing because I'm, you know, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking all the potential there, and and uh, uh, you know, that would be for a different episode. But it's like, how then? You know, the, the next question would be, how do we align payers and uh, reimbursement models in such a way to facilitate transformative care? <laughs> but, right? Because <laughs> yeah, there would be, you know, and uh, I, you know, I could just see you out there creating these programs, and, and wow, it would just be, it would be amazing to see. But, yeah. All right. Well, I've 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 taken enough of your time for today, but um, I would love to have you back on because we there's so many other aspects that we didn't get to talk about. We could have gone deeper into mindfulness. You, we can talk about yeah. different types of uh, mindful movement and uh, and things like that. But so we will save that for the future. But how how can people find you, or would you want them to find you on the interwebs? Yeah, please find me. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm actually not all that connected. <laughs> 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 I try not to be um, too uh, internet-based, um, but uh, I my email address, my sort of personal email address is Veronica Marisi DPT at Gmail, um, and then my uh, my work address is ve Marisi at samhealth.org. So either one of those are, are great to contact me at. Probably the work one is a little bit better because I'm better at checking that one. <laughs> when I get home, I tend to like check out a little bit and I'm like not on the computer as much. So not a bad thing to do. But yeah. so I will everybody, I will put those in the short show notes. And if you have questions about group group programs, pain and incorporating pain into pain programs, I would encourage you to, um, to email and talk to Dr. Uh, Morrissey because uh, she is an amazing person and has got some great experiences there. So, Veronica, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. And for everybody else out there, stay well.